want to talk to you about the Holy Spirit. And in John chapter 16, verse seven, remember, Jesus said to his disciples and vicariously says to us, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage. Now, if there is something to our advantage, we should take note of and take advantage of what's to our advantage. Right. And so Jesus says it's to your advantage that I go away now. Most of us wish I think we've all at one time or another wished that we would have been there with Jesus 2000 years ago, that what, what a privilege, what an honor, what an amazing time and experience that would have been to walk with Jesus uh, when he was in his earthly ministry 2000 years ago. The miracles, the the five loaves and two fish feeding a multitude, the signs and wonders, the, the healings, the blind eyes opening, the dead rising, the, the love and compassion that Jesus expressed and, and touched people with. And yet he said, it's better for you. It's, man, it's awesome to have been one of those that were with him that day and with him in those days. But he says it's better for us and it's to our advantage that he goes back to heaven where he's seated at the right hand of the father. He says, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. Now, Jesus is there's something that you got to understand about the Trinity, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit. They 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 he I mean, however you want to describe the, the Father, Son and Holy Spirit, one God with three distinct persons in one Godhead um, called the Trinity, as we all have come to understand. But the the, the, the thing about each of them is they're the, that they're the same. Their character is the same. The, the generosity and the love is, is in the Father and in the Son and in the Holy Spirit. Now, think about it. The, so the Father sees the condition of the world and sends his Son. And then the Son does his mission to come to display the will of God and come to die for our sins and model the love of God for us. And then he goes back to heaven and sends the Holy Spirit. So the Father, out of his love, sends the son and the son out of his love sends the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit out of his love comes to live inside of you and gives you every gift and every power and every ability you will ever need to fulfill God's purpose and will for your life. Can anybody say amen for the Holy Spirit? So but he says, if I don't go, I can't send him to you. But if I go, I will send the Holy Spirit and I will send him to you and then he will fulfill his mission in your life. And we'll get into that in a couple of moments. But I just wanted to remind you that that Jesus has sent the Holy Spirit and he when you get born again, he comes to live inside of you. The Holy Spirit comes to live within you. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well. But I want to back up for a moment and talk about Jesus a little bit more to give you a picture of what the Holy Spirit is like, because the Father, Son and Holy Spirit are so similar. The Father is God for us. The son is God with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and the Holy Spirit is God in us. And we need to understand that about about God is, I mean, to have him for you, with you and in you. That's a triple threat, man. You can't be beat. You can't be stopped. Can anybody say amen to that? And so we need to get we need to become familiar with what he's like and what we should expect him to do in our lives, what we should be expecting to see, because expectation is what produces manifestation. So our expectations set the thermostat for what we experience in our lives. We need to elevate our expectations and start expecting the power of God 
to show up in our lives. Start expecting the gifts of the Spirit. Start expecting words of wisdom and words of knowledge. Start expecting to lay hands on the sick and see them get healed. Start expecting to cast out demons and, and turn situations around. Start expecting for God to use you and God to work in your life and work through your life. We need to elevate our expectation. We can't cry out to God more for Him to give us more of His power. He has sent His Spirit to live inside of you. You're not getting any more power. You don't need any more power. We just need to become more familiar with who He is and what He does and what He can do in us and through us. That's, what, that's why we need to learn the Scriptures. That's why we need to come into the house of God. That's why, we, that's why we need a pastor. That's why we need a church. That's why we need a spiritual family. And we need to understand the Bible and what God is trying to tell us here. So think about this for a moment. So in Matthew chapter 1, verse 8, it says that, Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. The birth of Jesus Christ was as follows after his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph before they came together, before they were intimate, before they were engaged in holy matrimony and the sexual relationship that goes with it. Before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. We sang that song earlier about how Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he truly was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And I want you to understand something. Jesus was conceived by the Holy Spirit just as you were when you got born again. You were conceived by the Holy Spirit. But the point here is, is that everything Jesus did on this earth was because the Holy Spirit was in him and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And everything Jesus did, he did in the power of the Holy Spirit. He did not do it as a he did not do it as God, even though he was God. Everything Jesus did, he did as a man filled with the Holy Spirit and baptized in the Holy Spirit and empowered with the Holy Spirit. That's how Jesus walked. And this is so important that we get a hold of this so that you can understand how you can walk in the same way that he walked. And we'll get to that in a moment. But think about it. Jesus, conceived by the Holy Spirit, was just like the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit was just like Jesus. Now think about what Jesus was like. When he saw people hurting, he healed them. When he saw people hungry, he fed them. When he saw people, uh, when he saw people weary, he strengthened them. He gave them rest. When he saw people sad, he gave them joy. When he saw people beat up and condemned, he gave them forgiveness. He built up whatever was beat up. He forgave whoever was condemned. When he saw people discouraged, he encouraged them. When he saw little children, he blessed them. When he saw grieving people, he comforted them. He encouraged and strengthened them. He never hated. When people cursed him, he blessed them. When people hated him, he loved them. When people despitefully used him, he prayed for them. When one man betrayed him, he called him his friend. When people reviled him, he did not retaliate. He did not seek vengeance. His feet never walked a wicked path. His tongue never spoke a wicked word. Everything he did was done in love. His mind never had a wicked thought. His hands never stole. His hands never took. His tongue never spoke a hurtful or evil thing. His heart never entertained an evil motive. His hands never sinned or hurt anyone. It was glorious. He was glorious. He was the most beautiful expression of love and expression of, of beauty and expression of the heart of God that there ever has existed on the face of this earth. Can anybody say amen? That's the Savior that we get to call our friend, our Lord Jesus, right? This is how great he was. 
of those who knew him. It says in Acts chapter 10, verse 38, one who knew him very well and was very acquainted with him, said this about him, that how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil for God was with him. Now, listen, listen to what he says. He says, God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And what is the direct result of being anointed with the Holy Spirit and power? He went about doing good and healing all. He went about doing good and healing all. Notice what the cause and effect is. The effect is that he went about doing good and healing all. What's the cause? Come on, help me. What's the cause? Cause and effect. You understand? Okay. Um, open your science book to... I've got to teach about cause and effect. There is nothing just happens. There's always a cause and there's always an effect of anything. Anything that happens in life, there is a cause and there is an effect. The reason why... The reason you get, um, the reason you can plant a seed and get a harvest is that the harvest is the effect. The seed is the cause, right? So there's a cause and there's an effect. You mistreat somebody, that's a cause. Somebody is going to mistreat you. That's the effect. You slap somebody, that's the cause. When you say, why'd you slap me? Because you slapped me. That was the cause, you slapping them, and then the effect was they slapped you back. You understand? It's a cause and effect. So what is the cause and effect here? I'm giving you the effect, you give me the cause. The effect here, the result here, is that he went about doing good and healing all. What was the cause of that? He was anointed with the Holy Spirit and with power. That's the cause. What's the effect? Went about doing good and healing all. Have you struggled and have you failed as I have many times to do in doing good? Have you failed at being selfless at times? Have you tried to be selfless but ended up being selfish? Have you tried to be good and ended up being bad? Have you tried to do what's right and ended up doing what's Am I in the right place here today? Come on now. Did everybody lose their memories? I'm going to come back to that in a moment because I want, you to, I want you to think about something. That even though Jesus did all these wonderful things and as beautiful as, as the Scripture describes Jesus as and as powerful as Jesus was, there's something sad about, about this. There's something sad about how powerful Jesus was. And you know what's sad about it? What's sad about how powerful Jesus was is that his entire life was spent in a small geographical location no more than 75 miles by 40 miles wide. His chronological time spent on this earth was only 33 years. So his ability to actually touch, physically touch, and be physically heard by people was limited to a three-year span of ministry and a geography that was no more than 75 miles by 40 miles. America never saw him. America was never touched by Jesus. Southeast Asia was never touched by Jesus. Africa was never touched by Jesus. Russia was never touched by Jesus. China was never touched by Jesus. Poland was never touched by Jesus. South America was never touched by Jesus. Think about it. Only this little 
this little geographical region of a little bit of Israel and a little bit of Palestine at the time, just a little geographical region was actually touched by Jesus. Don't others need to get touched by him too? Is it fair that most of the world would live and die and never see the power of Jesus and the life of Jesus? Is that fair? No, it's not fair. So God had a plan. You know what his plan was? His plan included that there be a Jesus on every corner, a Jesus in every city, a Jesus in every country, a Jesus in every neighborhood, a Jesus in every home, a Jesus in every business, a Jesus in every shop, a Jesus in every school, a Jesus in every workplace, a Jesus in every family. Let me tell you something. And he arranged for each of his people to have access to the same power that he lived his life by. That power was the power of the Holy Spirit. And that same power resides in you so that this world can be touched by the real Jesus because you are the spitting image of Jesus because you are made in his image and the very spirit that lived inside of him that gave him power to do good and heal all that same spirit now lives inside of you not a different spirit not a different spirit not an inferior spirit we got to get a hold of this, folks, because we, we, have, we have been deceived and deluded into a gospel, a powerless gospel, a gospel where God is near us, but not in us. That's not the gospel. That's not. The good news is that Jesus washes away all of our sins so that the temple is clean so God can live there. He doesn't just cleanse you so you can go to heaven. He cleanses you so heaven can come to you. He doesn't just cleanse you so you can go be with God. He cleanses you so he can be with you. Because light and darkness cannot mix. You know, God is holy and he can't live in an unholy vessel. And so Jesus cleanses us from all of our uncleanness, all of our sin. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We're forever forgiven. You weren't forgiven of this sin, and then tomorrow you got to be forgiven of something else. You were forgiven in advance of everything. Debt canceled before debt occurred. Debt canceled before debt incurred. Because God saw the end from the beginning. You say, does God forgive my sins in the future? God forgives my future sins? When Jesus' blood was shed, all of your sins were future sins. Some of you are going to get that later. This happened 2,000 years ago. Your sins were forgiven 2,000 years ago. You didn't, get, you didn't get forgiven when you got born again. You got born again because you believed you were forgiven. As soon as you accepted the gift of forgiveness, which, by the way, forgiveness is a gift. That's why the middle word is give. Forgiveness. He forgave you before. Forgiveness. Before it happened, as much as it happened. Forgiveness. As much as it happens. Ness means as much as it happened. For means before it happened. Give is the gift. He gave the gift of forgiveness before it happened and as much as it happened. For whatever you've done, you've already been forgiven. Why is that so important? Because the reason 
God forgave you was not just so you can feel good, although that's a part of it. I hope you feel good that you're forgiven. I hope you're happy that you're forgiven. I hope you have joy because you're forgiven. But God forgives us and cleanses us so that he can come and live inside of us. And you can never be alone another day in your life. I know I got a lot of uh, good feedback from what I shared last week and some feedback with some questions like, well, you know, I know you said that the Holy Spirit is our is our helper and the Holy Spirit is, you know, in the Old Testament, God puts the Holy God says it's not good for man to be alone. So he takes a rib out of Adam's side and turns it into Eve. And that was God's plan the whole time. Right. Um, That God would take from within man, from within Adam, he would take Eve because God created him, male and female created he them. So Eve was always there. Eve was always a part of God's first creation. So he took Eve out from Adam's side. And the, but the difference between the first creation, which was Adam and Eve, and the new creation, which is you and I in Christ, is that God doesn't take something from within us so that we're not lonely, but he puts something in us so that we're not lonely. In the first creation, he takes something out of man so that he's not lonely and not alone. But in the new creation, he puts something in man so that we're not alone and that we're not lonely another day in our lives. And what is that that he puts in us? His spirit. And I know some people are like, well, yeah, I get it. God's spirit is in me so that I'm not lonely, but I'm still lonely. I need some flesh and blood around me. I need some arms. I need some real human arms around me. Well, hug the person next to you. I don't know. Do, you know. <laughs> Go online and you know, find somebody that likes what you like. I don't know. <laughs> Figure it out. But when we do that, listen, when we bring somebody into our life because we're lonely, it's really selfish. When we try to have a relationship because we're empty, it's selfish. So now we're using another human being made in the image of God to satisfy a need in our life. And think about that. That's selfish. I I know what you're going to say. Well, but why then get married? Why? You know, because there's power. We're too, you know, one can put a thousand to flight, two can put 10,000 to flight. We're not supposed to find somebody in our life because we're incomplete. Human, Human beings are not what complete us. The Holy Spirit is what completes us. Human beings complement us, but don't complete us. They are a complement. In other words, they, they, make, they can make you better, but they can't make you more complete. You see what I mean by that? Does that make sense? So somebody said, but I need flesh and blood. I'm still lonely. But you see, until you have acquainted yourself with the Holy Spirit and have begun to tap into the power of His presence then you're going to see people in a skewed way. You're going to see people in a, in a light and a view through a prism of just your own desires and your own needs and your own wants rather than seeing somebody as an object to love rather than an object of meeting or satisfying a need that you have. Remember what I shared with you last week that um, just like if you, if you sit on top of a table that is made and designed to hold a plate and to hold some cups and to hold some utensils, but you sit on top of it, it adds too much stress to the table. Now, don't get me wrong. I realize there are many tables made really strong and you, can, you could sit on them, but that's not what they're designed for. And there are some tables that will break under the stress 
of added weight upon that table that it wasn't designed for. And I tried to use that as an illustration to explain how relationships are, that a relationship is definitely a blessing and a a boyfriend, a girlfriend, a, a husband, a wife is definitely a blessing, but it's not designed to support your needs. Only God can supply your needs. And when you add the weight of your needs to fill the empty void in your soul, you add that weight to any relationship with any human being, it will buckle, it will bend, and it may break under the stress of putting too much of a demand and an expectation on a person and not that, that demand upon the Holy Spirit that comes, from what comes inside of you. You know, a human being can come next to you and a human being can come close to you and you can be intimate with a human being, but you can never live in another human being but the Holy Spirit can live in you. Another human being can never live inside of you, but the Holy Spirit can live inside of you. And there are some needs that you cannot have met on the outside, only can be met on the inside. It's an inside job for you to be happy. It's an inside job for you to feel content. It's an inside job to fill the crevices and the holes in your soul and the holes in your heart, and only the Holy Spirit can do that. Are you with me still? Then, then when you go into a relationship, it's two complete people that complement each other rather than two incomplete people seeking and groping for that other person to complete you, Jerry Maguire. I'm telling you right now, <laughs> if, 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 if marriage could complete you, then every single person is damned and doomed to feeling lonely and incomplete the rest of your life. And we know that's not true. We know God does not doom us to incompleteness because of our marital status. He completes you by His Spirit coming to live inside you. Oh, how can I, how can I get this across? Is this making any sense so far? So, I'm sure you've tried and failed like me. You found that you would rather be served sometimes than to serve. Am I in the right place? That you'd rather be helped than to help. That you'd rather receive than to give sometimes. Hey, be honest, right? You'd rather be fed than to feed. You'd rather be clothed than to clothe. You'd rather, have have you found that you'd rather hate a person sometimes than to love them? Have you found that it's difficult to bless those that curse you and you'd rather be cheered than to cheer? You'd rather be comforted than to comfort? You'd rather be encouraged than to encourage? Sometimes it's true about all of us. Have you tried to live holy and failed? To share your faith and struggled? To overcome a, have you tried to overcome a habit or an addiction but you just couldn't seem to turn it around? Have you tried to turn a little into a lot, but it seems like whenever you have a lot, it turns into a little? little? How many have had the miracle of five loaves and two fish where you started out with enough to feed a multitude and you ended up with five loaves and two fish rather than the other way around? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
It seems like when it's in your hands, you try by might and you try by power to make it happen and, and, to, and to, you know, see your finances turn around, see this addiction turn around, see your health turn around, see your relationships turn around, and you fail. You try to be selfless, but you end up being selfish. You try to do the right thing, you end up doing the wrong thing. So what's the solution? The solution is Zechariah chapter 4, verse 6 says, the Spirit of the Lord, this angel of the Lord said to Zechariah, he said, Look, it's not by might. Here's the word of the Lord to to each of us. It's not by our might. It's not by our power, but by his spirit. God says, by my spirit, says the Lord. In other words, you've struggled and failed. What's the solution? His spirit is the solution. You've tried to overcome and you failed. What's the solution? His spirit is the solution. You've tried to satisfy this empty feeling of sadness and loneliness inside of you. What's the solution? His spirit is the solution. You've tried to lay hands on the sick and, and, they, and they get worse. What's the solution? His spirit is the solution. The first three or four people I prayed for when I first got saved, I laid hands on them, they died. I guarantee you the sick were not standing in line for me to come lay hands on them after that. But I had, you know, I, I, the first few people, I just was like, I command you to be healed. I command you. I command you. You better get up in Jesus' name. I'd kick them. I'd move them. I'd spit on them. I'd do anything. But not, it wasn't by might. It wasn't until I learned. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by His Spirit. So I have to learn to tap into His Spirit who's come to live inside of me so that His power, His Spirit can do the work. And we can rest when we're confident in knowing that His Spirit lives inside of us. We can be everything He created us to be when we recognize His Spirit lives inside of us. We don't have to to ask God for more Holy Spirit. He's already been sent. We don't have to sing songs, send Him on down, Lord, send Him on down. Oh, let the Holy Ghost come on down. Like the price is right. Come on down, Holy Ghost. We don't need more Holy Spirit. We need more understanding of the Holy Spirit. We need more awareness of the Holy Spirit. We don't need more of the Holy Spirit. He didn't, it's not like a piece of Him lives in you and a piece of Him lives in me and a piece of Him lives in somebody else and collectively we add up to uh, the body of Christ. No, we are the body of Christ, but every one of us has the fullness of the Holy Spirit Himself living inside of you. It's a person. The Holy Spirit is a person. He lives in you when you're born again. He's not, you don't have like his ear and I have his eye and somebody else has his pinky. He himself lives inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit and God dwells in you. You're not the temple. Listen, he says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 1 Corinthians 3, 16, he says you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. He doesn't say you're the temple of the huh. <laughs> you don't have just a little bit of him. He doesn't say you're the temple of the whole. <laughs> he doesn't say you're the, temp- you're the temple of the Holy <laughs> You have him in his fullness living inside of you. And it is our awareness of that. It's our acknowledgement of that that activates his power. It's our awareness and our, and our acknowledgement of that that activates his power. So, oh man, 
This makes sense to anybody so far? All right. So let's keep going for a few minutes. Let's drill down here for a few minutes because it's really important that um, that you get a hold of this because um, this will change your life. You get you get this. It changes everything. It's in our own power. Nothing can happen. You know, God without man is still God. Man without God is nothing. God without man, he's still God. Man without God, we're nothing. Jesus said, without me, you're nothing. And apart from me, you can do nothing. We need to understand how he abides in us and how he operates in us. Look at Romans chapter 8, 11. Romans chapter 8, verse 11. Paul says this, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells near you. Is that what it says? Through his spirit who dwells around you. Through his spirit who dwells on you. No, it's through his spirit who dwells where? Come on, talk to me. In you. He dwells in you. Now look, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. As soon as you're born again, he dwells in you. And he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal body. This is not talking about your resurrected body when you go to heaven. This is talking about your mortal body here on this earth. This is your physical body. He comes to dwell inside of your physical body and he will give life to your mortal body. The word life there is the word zoe. It's the God life. It's God kind of life. It's the life of, of healing and wellness and abundance and soundness. It's God's life that he gives to your mortal body. So that's where healing comes from, from the Holy Spirit within you. That's where breakthroughs come from, from the Holy Spirit within you. That's where ideas come from, the Holy Spirit within you. That's where wisdom come from, comes from, the Holy Spirit within you. That's where, um, that's where the power of God is on the inside of you. We don't have a treasure that we have to go search for on the outside. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, We have this treasure in earthen vessels. We have the treasure of God. The treasure of God's power dwells in earthen vessels. That's your body made of dust. Come on, give me a non-memorial day amen on that one. You know, not, a, not a after you've eaten seven hot dogs amen. We need to tap into this treasure. We need to discover the treasure in us. What is the greatest treasure in you? The Holy Spirit. God living inside of you. Now, let's talk about this for a moment because suppose from how many parents do we have here? Anybody have any kids? Okay, um, if you're a parent of a child, I guess you would have to be a parent of a child. Um, but suppose for a minute your child's greatest desire was to be an NBA basketball player, yet he lacked the talent, the size, and the skill. Now, I don't know what's left that would qualify you to be able to succeed as an NBA player, but if that kid has that desire, but he lacks the size, he lacks the skill, he lacks the talent, uh, he's sunk. 
He's not going to make it. You say, what about the will? Well, the will is the will is important if you got the size, the skill and the talent. You could have the will without the skill. You ain't making it. I'm sorry. <laughs> but you say, well, you know, that's what his desire is. So I'm going to I'm going to encourage him in his desire, which is good. Encourage him to be the best he can be or she encourage her to be the best she can be. Um, so what does a parent do? A parent takes their kid to camps, basketball camps. A parent takes their kids to little league you know, uh, little league basketball teams uh, may even take their kid to a camp hosted by LeBron James in the summer or hosted by uh, Steph Curry or a former player like Kobe Bryant or the greatest of all, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, Michael Jordan. Come on, can anybody say amen? Let's, okay, let's take it to another level. Let's say you know Michael Jordan. And you and you and he says, man, I'll coach your kid. I'll mention who wouldn't want their kid wants to be in the NBA. Who better to coach him? Who better to mentor him? So now you've got this arrangement that every day he's spending time with Michael and he's working with Michael and and he's learning to be like Mike. And you know what? No matter how much Michael Jordan teaches him, mentors him, trains him, gives him the thoughts, gives him the mindset, gives him the the um, the, the knowledge that he has. I guarantee you, your child will still never be like Mike. I'm sorry. He can have Air Jordans. He's still not going to be like Mike. He can stick out his tongue and wag his tongue. He is not going to be like Mike. He can drink Gatorade, you know, with the perf- and, 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 and as a perfect model and a perfect example of, 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 of elegance and grace and all those things that, that Michael represented from an athletic standpoint. But I guarantee you, your child is not going to be like Mike. All the players in the world try to be like Mike today, and none of them are like Mike. Even LeBron James, as great as he is, he's not like Mike. Now, some people would say, well, he's better, or he's this or that, but he ain't Mike. He's not, he can wear 23 on his back, but I got news for you. He ain't Mike. You can sing the song, if I can be like Mike, and you will never be like Mike. Unless, you know what? I'm wrong. There is a way that you could be like Mike or like LeBron or like Steph. And that is, if you could unzip your body and have one of them in their prime come and live inside of you and possess you from the inside out. Well, I'm glad I remembered that. That there is a way. Because that's exactly what the Holy Spirit does. He comes and lives inside of you. And our job is not to yell enough, shout enough, try to imitate God enough. Our job is to yield to the Holy Spirit. You know when you come up to a yield sign, that means you let the person that's coming from the other direction, let him go first. To yield to the Holy Spirit is let him go first. Let him speak first. Follow his Word. Follow His peace. Follow His love. Follow His... Yield to His way of thinking. Yield to His way of loving. Yield to His way of responding. Yield to His way. Speak His language.
by speaking in tongues and speaking God's Word. Let the language of the Holy Spirit, His greatest language is love. You could pray in tongues but not have love and you're like a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal, the Bible says. That's not, a, that's, not a, that's not God dismissing tongues. It's God putting tongues in perspective that the greatest work of the Holy Spirit is the work of love in your life. Amen. Causing you to know the love of God, to become personally acquainted with God's love and then letting that love flow through you. That's yielding to the Holy Spirit. Is yielding to the Holy Spirit means that I have an opinion of how something should be and how I should manage something or handle something, but God's Word says to handle it this way. Yielding to the Holy Spirit means I handle it His way, not my way. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is when somebody mistreats me that I bless in return for a curse. They curse me, I bless them. That's yielding to the Holy Spirit. Yielding to the Holy Spirit is when, when I don't know how to pray as I should, the Holy Spirit intercedes for me with groanings too deep for words, and I let the language of the Holy Spirit flow out through the beautiful gift of tongues. And then out from that come an interpretation of wisdom during your day. I remember all the years doing the radio show Ask the Pastor, and I remember the secret of why I was able to just spontaneously answer people's questions. Yes, I knew the Scripture, but there are a lot of people that know Scripture that beat people over the heads with it. There are a lot of people that use Scripture to condemn, to judge, to criticize, to make a person feel bad or feel small. But the Holy Spirit never makes a person feel that way. And I remember God telling me, He said, you just keep praying in tongues every day. And you know what? I'll give you the answers. Because that's the interpretation. So as I would pray in tongues... Mysteries would go up. I'm speaking mysteries to God. 1 Corinthians 14 says, verse 1 and 2. If you're afraid of this beautiful gift of tongues, please, you know, let's disarm ourselves. Let's, let's relax. Let's not judge. Let's read the Scriptures. I remember when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit at 17 years old, and I was speaking tongues, and I remember a pastor who was a, a friend of a family member heard about me getting born again and speaking in tongues, and he... And he asked me to meet with him. And he said, I got I to gotta show you that tongues is not, you shouldn't be praying. That's, that's, that's not for everybody. And it's not, it's not be, be, he said, be careful, be, be, be leery of this speaking in tongues stuff. I remember a pastor told me that. Here I'm a 17-year-old kid and a pastor tells me that. Like, why not just tell me to read my Bible? <laughs> tell me to go to church and read my Bible. Give my tithe. Don't tell me to not to be leery of speaking in tongues. So I remember being afraid. Like, this is a man of God. He told me not to speak in tongues. Like, to be careful about speaking in tongues. So I, I guess I, so I stopped speaking in tongues. And I said, God, I'm going to open the Bible. And my teaching here isn't focused on tongues. It just so happens we landed there. And, and um, we're almost done here. We're about to wrap it up. And I just thought I'd share this little story with you that, that, the, that I remember I said, Lord, um, I'm not going to speak in tongues anymore, but I'm going to study every scripture in the Bible about tongues. And I'm going to look up every one of them. I'm going to pray over every one of them. I'm asking you to open my eyes to every one of them. And if after studying the scriptures on tongues, the conclusion that I come to is that it's not for me, I will never speak in tongues another day in my life. And I said, but if I study it and find 
that tongues is for me based on the Scriptures, not somebody's opinion, but based on the Scriptures, then I will speak in tongues every day for the rest of my life. And all I can say is, Yabba-dabba-doo and Tigger-too. Well, I'm getting out of this church. These tongue talkers, man, they're scary. If I was scary before I just played around for a minute, then I would understand you leaving because you're scared. But I am the same person I was when you're like, that's the coolest pastor in the world. Well, at least I'm just saying that one sister said that over here into the microphone. So it's scripture now. It's official. I'm just playing. Don't be afraid of the gifts of God's love. He gave you Jesus because he loved you. Jesus gave you the Holy Spirit because he loves you. The Holy Spirit gave us tongues and interpretations and wisdom and words of knowledge and prophecy because he loves us. These are all gifts of God's love that supply all our needs. And I guess I'm just saying that's one of the ways to to activate the power of the Holy Spirit. Speaking God's word. Look at this. Acts chapter 10, verse 44. Peter is the perfect example of what a person is like before they're filled with the Holy Spirit and after they're filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter used to be a... Peter used to... He didn't speak in tongues before. He spoke in cussing before, right? (laughs) Kept cursing, kept cussing. All that came out of his mouth was a cuss word. And then, so he's got a foul mouth. Then he's sinking in the water. When he walks on the water, he sinks. Uh, Peter is the guy that... Jesus nicknamed Satan, said, get behind me, Satan, because Peter had his own agenda. And then Peter cut off Malchus's ear and um, and he's just got emotional. His emotions were always ahead of him and his emotions were always ahead of his brain. And uh, Peter denied the Lord three times before 5 a.m. one day. And when you deny the Lord three times before 5 a.m., that is the sure sign that you're going to have a bad day. It's a prediction of prophecy. You're going to have a bad day. And yet. After being filled with the Holy Spirit. Peter stands up and he preaches the first gospel message after the resurrection of Jesus. Three thousand people get saved the first day. He goes back and preaches again the second day. Five thousand more people get saved. He leads eight thousand people to Jesus Christ and they get born again and filled with the Holy Spirit after two messages that he preached, whereas he couldn't he couldn't preach his way out of a paper bag before that. All he could do was sink in the water, cut people's ears off, deny the Lord and and uh, and and sink. I already said sink in the water and be a cussing sailor. That's all he was. After being filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches this message about Jesus. And look, look at what it says. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell on all those who heard the word and they were all baptized in the Holy Spirit, began to speak in tongues and prophesy. And this happened, which is the whole point. This happened while Peter was speaking the word. So one of the ways that activates the Holy Spirit is speaking God's word. When you speak God's word, the Holy Spirit goes into action. The Holy Spirit's already present, but the Holy Spirit manifests and is activated through speaking God's word through yielding to him, I was just remember how we got here. We were talking about what it means to yield to the Holy Spirit. And these are some of the ways we yield to the Holy Spirit. 